This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me this evening. My guest this evening is Sam Hudson. How are you, Sam? Good, thank you, Sam. Hope you're well. Very well, thank you. Uh, Sam, just before we get um, cracking and really into the heart of the conversation, maybe just give the listeners and viewers a bit of an insight around who you are and what you're doing, and we'll kind of spin off from there. Sure. So, uh, currently, I'm academy coach at Aston Villa, um, predominantly working with the under-14s, and then I combine that role with um, an analysis coach education role with the coach's voice. Um, so, I split my time between the two as on field on the grass coaching in uh, Villa in the Cat One Academy and then um, working for for the coaches voice as I say creating educational content and, and working on a, a various amount of things for, for the last three or four years with them and then I've recently started at Villa this season so it's my first year at Villa previously I was at Derby County for four years four seasons um, and I've worked for a couple of clubs and I've elsewhere as well in the academy system spent years in, in the States coaching and did the whole summer camp thing kind of during university years. So, so I went to university in um, South Wales, did a couple of degrees down there, did a foundation degree in football coaching and then did a BSc in sports coaching. Went to the States on and off in, in the summers as the summer camps and, and that side of things, whilst working as a intern placement with Cardiff City um, in South Wales. Went through my coaching badges, did my B licence whilst I was at university then moved to the States in New York, New Jersey for a few years, coaching full-time out there, um, working with various age groups and teams, kind of from travel to EDP, ODP, all sorts of different ages and teams. And then came back to the UK and, and got more involved in the academy system again. And um, I started coaching when I was about 16, I think, um, just as a as a route into the game because I knew playing-wise it probably wasn't going to happen. So I turned to coaching quite early and I'm quite fortunate that I could do my level one, level two whilst I was 16, 17. And ever since then, I've caught the bug and can't get rid of it. I think that's, that's always the case, isn't it? Once you get, especially once you find a situation where you've got an environment that's a brilliant one, you kind of just get hooked on it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot in there, Sam, you know, it, and it did very well, by the way, just, you know, summing that up in a very short space of time um, because there is a lot in there. But, you know, I want to kind of maybe just... Um, delve a little bit deeper into that and then and we'll talk about because it's something that you didn't quite mention there and obviously is that you've recently re- uh, written a book yeah. uh, about football in the pandemic but we'll, we'll talk more about that in, in a short while but just before we get onto that you mentioned there about catching the coaching bug what kind of took your or piqued your interest in coaching in the first place? Um, I, I guess it's just it probably stems from a love of the game that's so kind of deep-rooted like my, my family are pretty much football mad there's Know, support loads of different teams throughout the family so some games can be quite tense in the, in the household at times um, 
and it's just it's almost like in your DNA. You, I went went to my first game when I was about three or four years old with 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 my old man, and then ever since then you just catch the bug. You love playing it, you love watching it, you love talking about it, and then kind of coaching, being in that that central point of the session and and working with players and working with young players as well. I, I really enjoy working with you know players and people from all sorts of different background and and watching people improve. I think is is another kind of quite a rewarding practice and a rewarding part of the job that it, particularly if you work with with players over a considerable period and you can see them grow as players but then you, especially in academies and youth settings you see them grow as people as well and it, it's, it's always quite a nice feeling irrespective of where where individuals end up on their journey and certainly from a professional standpoint whether they they kind of make it as the professional standard or not you will always have such an impact on young people and sometimes you can forget how um, how much of an impact you will have on them and, and the memories that you create um, and I guess that was kind of quite a big factor early on that I thought yeah, yeah this is you get quite a nice feeling from it plus that love of the game and and being able to just work and talk and plan and deliver and, and assess and all the things around coaching sessions so if I could do that as a job as a career on a daily basis then there's probably nothing else I'd, I'd rather do I think you make a great point there. And I, I, it just, as you're talking, it makes me think about some of the players that I've coached over the years, especially early on in my journey. And, you know, some of them have gone from being players that I coached to, you know, to, I guess, friends now, if you like, because, you know, they've all grown up and you're right mm-hmm. about how the impact you can have on young people in, in particular. And, and that, But that, that could be positive or negative as well. So I think, you know, yeah. just on that then, you know, you imagine maybe sharing a couple of examples where you've had some really positive impact and you, you you talk there about maybe whether they've gone on to play professionally or not. And I don't think that's, that's, that really means anything in the end. Obviously, if they, if that's something that they're, they're, you know, they're ambitious about and they're wanting to kind of drive towards and we can help them do that, then great. But there's so many wins that we can pick up and so many successes that we can, we can gather along the way that don't necessarily result in that. So maybe yeah. particular players that you all people that you can think about where you've had an impact on them, but you weren't aware of that impact until something happened in particular. Yeah, I guess um, obviously I've worked with quite a few players that have kind of on the, on the journey to, to making professional. Certainly, kind of more, more recently, they're going to be breaking through the 18s, 23s first team. But I think some of the some of the actually some of the more meaningful ones. Are, I have one example from a lad I coached quite, quite a long time ago, and he he messaged me, his family messaged me um, during the, the pandemic, asking about a career actually in coaching, and and going into and actually being a coach, and and that was quite a a little bit of a shock and a surprise, um, not just because of obviously the, the the playing route isn't isn't working for them, but the fact that they want to go into that that environment still, but but be a coach and and totally change their hats and and have that new role, and and they said one of the reasons was was because we had such a good time with myself and and the other coaches that worked with them that they had all positive experiences from the coaches that they thought you know what I want to give give that myself to to other players coming through the system um and that was that was actually based in the states and um you know it's really interesting to, to i don't think you know i would never have expected that that a player to, starts turning into a coach um purely back off the back of a lot of coaches that they work with and i say i was fortunate enough to to be counted as one of those that had a positive experience um and like you say, you do keep in touch with people every now and then, but also you'll get a, a random message every now and then from people, um, certainly when I lived in the States, that, that are now trying to either move to Europe maybe or, or move to the UK and pursue a career, even kind of a non-footballing career, but they're moving countries and, and you know, you catch up. And, um, and and the same can go for some coaches as well that I've worked with, maybe that are just starting out on the journey and, and they want advice on on that, that side of things as well. Um and it's because uh, it's such a global game. It's amazing how you can connect with people from all around the world. And and as I say previously, you can have such an impact on people that you know only probably only until that first message that I had about the player wanting to go into coaching, I, I probably never even realised, but I never even thought that because I've coached so many players over the years in so many different environments from from kind of top to bottom, all various age groups. Over the years, if you had to tally them up, you you do meet and speak and, and work. with with so many different people and so many different players from all backgrounds. Um, and yeah, you, you, sometimes you do forget and realise how much of an impact you can have. 
I think I think it's just sometimes we get we get consumed so much by the bug, as you put it, that we actually don't we don't realize the impact it's actually having. And I think you know just to go even on that, you know, to ha- have a player say, like, Do you know what, I'm, the playing the playing career is not working out for me, but you've inspired me to go into coaching. I think that's that's a fantastic thing. But you know, on the flip side of that. Would you mind maybe sharing some of the maybe neg- negative situations you've, you've come across and maybe how you've dealt with those? Because, you know, because like I said, I, as coaches, sometimes we, let's be honest, you know, it's, it's a world for us where it's quite egotistical. You know, we've all got mm-hmm. egos in this and we don't want to also, at times, we don't really want to take responsibility for when things don't work out. Have you had any times like that that you've maybe then later reflected on thinking, well, actually, I, if I'd done this differently or if I'd done something slightly differently, that wouldn't have gone that way? Yeah, absolutely loads. I think one that always stands out is it actually took another coach to, to mention to me, he said, oh, the, the player, um, he thinks he doesn't like you. He thinks you, you really don't like him. Um, and he, he doesn't he doesn't feel that, that um, not the case, you're not fair, but just you've got something against him. And until that coach said that to all, the player told the coach and then the coach obviously told me, I would have never guessed that because, I mean, obviously it's, it's a it's a human environment, it's a human sport. You're working with with people. Um, you're not going to kind of click with absolutely everybody, and you're gonna there's going to be players that you'll coach that that you you develop relationships with quicker. Um, that's just a byproduct of being a human being. Um, but until yeah, as I say, until that. Not that I was blinded to it, but I just couldn't see it for for whatever reason. And it was really interesting that it took the player to speak to another coach and say, oh, look, uh, I don't think Sam likes me. I, I, you know, he just doesn't like me. Um, and of course, that, that's not the case. So then straight away, you're totally kind of reviewing everything you do and everything you've said. And you think, actually, maybe it's not what I'm saying. Maybe it's just simply the way I'm saying it. Maybe it's just that subconsciously or consciously you're talking to, to, to the player slightly differently to others or even terminology and words you use. Body language is obviously very important. So it, it could simply be that you're doing something with the best intentions, but for whatever reason, it's not coming out. And and for this player, a lot of it, it, it tended to be um, the balance of positive to negative feedback, really, was, I think, the, 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 the phrase. So I tried to... I mean, I'd always pride myself as a coach on being honest and giving positive and negative feedback you know, across the board. Um, ultimately, as particularly working with children and young players, you, you should be keeping most things positive. Um, but there's always, certainly in kind of professional academy environments, there's always an element of honesty and realism because it's a very cutthroat environment, particularly the higher it gets. So you've always got to prepare players for, for that journey and be honest with players because a lot of players, families, parents, they make immense sacrifices in the academy system for for what is a very slim chance of obviously making kind of Premier League, first team, championship, whatever. Um, so you've always got to balance off that that honesty with praise and positive stuff. Um, but for with that player, it was more a case of just being more mindful of the ratio of positive to negative. And um, if it's a case of limiting yourself to negative feedback or, or not negative comments, but but the stuff to improve on, probably a better way to phrase it. Um, yeah just finding that balance a bit better with that individual player and you'll find other players will be fine with whatever feedback they get. And again, it comes back to knowing the person, knowing the people and it's a, it's a human business. You make a great point there. And I think just, just to kind of follow up on that, then did you find at all that it was quote unquote negative feedback that maybe was the issue or was it maybe how it was presented? Um, did you find that maybe there was a different response, whether that be verbal or written feedback, as an example? I think it, I think it was purely just because of the ratio. Um, it, it wasn't a case of the it was um, kind of the yeah not not so much the, the way it was more that he doesn't like me because the majority of things he says is stuff to focus on and not what I'm good at. Um, it, it was simply that balance and. I guess there's no real way of knowing because you can never kind of measure every single feedback you give, but from some kind of sessions over the years that you get clipped and what type of feedback you give to players um, at some clubs I've worked at, you can then get a lot better gauge on that and you can see. um, And it is interesting how 
you know, because we're all people and, and we all have good days and bad days that sometimes you'll, you'll look at some of your feedback and think, oh, actually, I was a little bit more negative in, in that moment or a little bit more constructive or not as positive as I could have been. But there could be things, you know, at home and, and outside of outside of the work environment that, that's affected that. And then vice versa, that's exactly the same with players. The day they've had the school, what's going on in home life. Some players, you know, have a very standard and normal home life. Others have a, a very difficult journey and when they come to training. It is their their release and their their happy place. So, um, and again, different players again will have different different journeys in the game, but also outside the game. So, I guess you can take that into consideration on how you pitch your feedback and and what sort of feedback you do. And again, that ratio of constructive to positive. Um, but I guess it always comes back to again knowing your players and and, and, yeah. and knowing them as people because um, they're always going to be a person. They might be a footballer for a bit, but they're always going to be a human being, aren't they? And the same with coaches. It's the same with any walk of life, I guess. No, I think I think that's a great that's a great point. And you know, I just want to talk talk there a bit more about knowing the person. You know, something that you mentioned a couple of moments ago is that obviously a lot of these uh, these people who are now players currently looking to make progress into the professional game whether that be at the Premier League Championship or whatever that might be. And the, the sacrifice that comes with that for parents and the family members and, and their support network as a whole. Um, and that, that can be a, quite a challenge because obviously for some of those boys, they might be in the system for a, a short space of time. For some of them, it might be a lot longer and still not get no uh, positive outcome from it. Now, that can be quite a challenge. Um, and speaking of challenges, I'm interested to know you, for yourself, then, you know, what were, what were some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your coaching journey and how you've maybe gone about dealing with those um, I guess there's similar with the playing kind of a lot of the statistics that around how um, you know not many players make it and and the success rate is so low. I think that a lot of people do forget to, and do. It's quite easy to kind of bash um, certainly kind of academy environments and professional clubs where don't get me wrong. There's lots of things that that can be done better in the game. Absolutely, but people always tend to forget that there isn't that many jobs at the end of it. There's what twenty five. 25-man squad in the Premier League times 20 teams is what, 500-odd shirts. So, you know, you're not just competing with everyone in your team or everyone in the club. You're competing against all the other category clubs in the country. Then you also, especially in England, how many people around the world want to come and live and work in, in England, particularly in a, in a football and sporting aspect? You're competing with, with millions of players around the world. So the, the kind of challenge of, of that for the player for me, is, is mirrored quite a lot with the challenge of having a coaching career. Because again, there's only X amount of clubs, there's only X amount of jobs, there's only um, you know, X amount of roles. If you want to be a, I don't know, an under-18s coach in an academy in England, there's, what, 60 or 70 academies, there's two coaches at the under-18s, so you're there, there's 100 to 150 jobs in the whole country. So the, the challenge, I guess, has always been for me is forging that career in the game and starting from, as we all know, starting from the non-playing background, certainly non-professional playing, you 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 don't have the contacts, you don't have the, the experience of playing and the knowledge that that gives. Um, but crucially, you don't have the contacts and the and the environment that you've, you've not been in. So I guess that's kind of the biggest challenge that I've faced is trying to build the brand, build the reputation, go through your badges, but then also being good enough on the grass to, to do the job as well. Um, and and I wouldn't say never being satisfied because if you're never satisfied then you're always not happy but um, it's only until kind of recently potentially through the pandemic and Covid where you look back and you think oh, actually I've done a couple of things in my career that I never planned on doing but I was really happy that I did and um, I think it's always good as I say this to players a lot it's always good to look back at what you've done and be proud of if you've got achievements be proud of them because not no one else is probably going to be proud for you so you know you've got to be proud of yourself and um as i said the competitiveness of the game in general and the not lack of opportunities but just few opportunities just because of the industry um is something that will never change and it will be a challenge for you know as long as i keep working in the game uh I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, you, you talked that you mentioned it very briefly there about, think, you know, doing things through a pandemic and the amount of coaching that's still taking place. But coaches are really recently just started again properly, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, now, 
for a lot of people, COVID really kind of put a, a blocker on everything for players, for coaches. Um, and for some people, that was a good thing. For some people, it wasn't so much good. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you obviously do a role with uh, the coach's voice uh, around tactical analysis. Maybe we can just share a little bit of information around that. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I'm quite fortunate that I can manage that around my coaching and it's quite flexible to do that. Um, and I've done that for for, for it's coming up four years in after the new year, it'll be four years. Um, and yeah, responsible for a lot of their coach education stuff, um, or most of the tactical stuff. And on the two strands of websites, we've got the subscription site, which is obviously a paid service, and then the the, the free website. And, and I've worked across both across the years and kind of working with um, the, the team that, that aren't so much coaches, but I've done a lot of like branding and marketing and then creating the content and working with um, journalists, a few of them are as well, and working with a, a real varied kind of group of people to create kind of different coach education content. Because I think a lot of the stuff we do is, is a little bit different and unique in some some areas. Um, and yeah, I've been fortunate enough that I can, as I say, keep coaching because I don't think I'd ever stop stuff on the grass but at the same time, merge that, um, that that role together. I think it's really benefited, actually, my coaching as well, because I watch and, and study and analyse so much coaches, teams, players, whatever, whether it's an individual basis, a, a, a specific manager, and his how he's uh, he or she is um, delivered at, at different clubs, especially, or it's just generic teams, and I, and I watch different games, and the amount of stuff you can pick up that you can then use with your players and whether it's like creating little clips. I'm always, I'm always wanting to watch a game. So tonight, one of the, the, the cup games I'll probably watch. And if there's something that I think, oh, that's a, something I need to clip, I'll just write down the minute and, and, and clip it a few days later and show it with players. And I find that a really powerful tool, particularly when working with um, the, the academy, the academy boys in one sense, because you can kind of mirror um certainly the current first team of the club you work at, you can kind of link the, the philosophy and the ideas through the club. But then also if you're working with, I don't know, like a grassroots teams or, 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 or a lesser kind of ability teams, you can also link different bits of footage of like, you know, the superstar players, your Mbappe's, your Messi's and, and all those. And, and you can create that fun environment and, and you can do a little bit more subtle coaching Um and all kids are visual nowadays that most of them have phones and iPads and tablets. And in most schools now they have iPads or they have smart boards, don't they? And screens and stuff are everywhere and, and technology that um, my little sister's better on an iPad than I am. Um, you know, it's it, that will never change. And, and the, the, you've reached that generation now that they've, they've been born and grown up through technology. Um, and, and this role has helped me not just get better at it, but then also merge it into your coaching because there's only so many coaching hours you can do from, from a physical perspective. So that, that off-field coaching um, is just as important tool as, as, you, as your on-field work. I, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think it is, for me, it's really important that coaches do start to think about how they can maybe have a larger impact and not just the on-field stuff, but the off-field stuff. How can we, and sometimes that off-field stuff actually can maximise the impact of the on-field stuff. And I think that, that's a really good point. Now, you've been really busy, uh, you know, picking up those skills, enhancing those skills, developing those skills, both on and off the pitch. Um, got to a pandemic. And I know you've, and, you know, now you've, now you've got to a point where you've become an author too. Yeah, yeah. But just to tell us a little bit about that, you know, what, where did that idea come from? Uh, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about um, sometimes having things that weren't necessarily planned and some things were planned. Was this yeah. ever part of your plan? Um, no, not not really, to be honest. Um, it, it's kind of a case of, like you, you said earlier, about the furlough was, and, and the pandemic was good for some people and bad for some people. I think at the start, kind of the first lockdown, where, like with most coaches, you're working all the time and sometimes mid-season, you just think, God, I'd just kill for a couple of days off. And then when you go into lockdown, I was thinking, yeah, and the weather was quite nice. And I was thinking, oh, it's quite nice to have a couple of days off. But then as soon as the football stops as well, and then, you know, you're not seeing friends and you're not seeing family and you're thinking, and you're not getting in your routine of work and working with players. And you think, actually, I'm I'm not enjoying this now. And I've always done my own analysis anyway. I've always done stuff that I, I'm happy to share anything with anybody, but I do have a considerable amount that I keep just for myself on my, on my, on my laptop or on my memory stick that I've done over the years, again, just to make, make me a better coach and a better analyst and a better 
just practitioner on the whole. Um, and kind of through the pandemic, I started releasing a, little, releasing a little bit more on social media because I think Twitter, for example, is a great resource for, for so many different things from a, from a football coaching perspective. Um, and I started releasing a little bit more and I thought, actually, you know what, how can I release a, something for myself that is that would I'd be interested in, in doing and hopefully others would be interested in in kind of looking at and with the issues that you can have with clips and footage and copyright stuff and um and all that sort of stuff I thought well actually if I and again some of the stuff that I've done for the coaches was where well, I'm writing lots of tactical stuff anyway it's kind of okay well it was a very kind of brief and casual conversation with an initial publisher um, who somebody put me in touch with who um, kind of just a very casual thing. And then I said, oh, I've got an idea about looking at this season because there's going to be no fans and it's going to be behind closed doors. And surely from a tactical perspective in the game in general, that would be quite different. And then it just kind of snowballed from there and um, pitch publishing are the publishers. And they were very good in the sense that they just said, right, we're happy with the principle in, 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 as a as a principle, as a premise, crack on with it. And not only did it keep me sane in terms of doing keeping stuff to do during the lockdowns and and giving me a bit more of a purpose, um, it was also a real test and challenge because I would never, even now, I would never class myself as an author and particularly literate and, and all that that side of things. I'm a I'm a football coach that loves loves the game, um, and that's kind of where it stemmed from and. Looking back now, it was, as I say, a big challenge, but but one I'm glad I've done. And um, yeah, like I said at the start, something that I would never really planned. And um, yeah, it was it, it was a fun process going through it all because it was all completely new to me and speaking with the publishers about the marketing side of things, what the cover should look like, or, and it was all totally new and alien. Um, but a, a real fun experience on the whole, and something quite important for me, probably mentally more than anything. Definitely, I, 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 I can imagine. So, just on that, then, to so you, football in a pandemic, um, an insight into Premier League tactics and strategies. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've talked a lot about in terms of your your analysis, your tactics. You know, your interest in that side of things in terms of developing yourself. Where did the focus come from for that for that book in particular? Uh, uh, and. Tell us a little bit more about it. You know, what if someone looks yeah. at it now? What they, what can they you know what can they hope to expect from it? Yeah, so I guess probably one of my strengths is kind of understanding and 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 seeing the game and seeing the, the different moments in the game and then you know trying to portray it in um, because there's obviously 22 players moving around. It's very fluid and flexible and and different kind of subtle patterns and stuff. I've because I've I have watched so much and, and studied it for so long as, as employment, but then also translated into coaching. I've always kind of felt that that is one of my USPs as a coach. I think you can have lots of different coaches, like you can have a real technical expert, you can have kind of um, a more of a tactical strategy type of coach, um, more of a kind of an organisational type coach. I think there's loads of different types of coaches you can have um, and with their kind of USP, their big area. And I think for me, that that tactical element is always... Is, I've always been interested in in what different teams do. So the book... Um, the, the first kind of chapter looks at COVID, first of all. It looks at how, in my eyes, the, the pandemic affected the, the game. So looking at the home and away bias, which completely went, the, the use of VAR, how the referee bias changed, because, again, there's no crowd. The the different uh, the substitution rule changed and, and what teams made use of that. Um, you've also got the scheduling issues that they had with games, a couple of like Man United played three games in nine days, I think in, in one spell and then the potential for increased injuries. And on top of that, you've got more injuries, but you also throw COVID in as an injury or as a reason for players to miss games. So the first real intro in the chapter to the book looks at all that. Um, and admittedly, so I finished the book in May at the end of the season and I tried to get it, we tried to get it out in the, in the summer during the Euros where the height of, of football had come back and fans were coming back in. But due to kind of every reason under the sun that you can ever think of, and it was kind of battling one thing after the other. So it kind of stemmed with the Suez Canal getting blocked. So we're having distribution issues, <clears throat> then Brexit, COVID, shipping container issues, 
um, lorry driver shortages, anything you can think of to delay publishing and distribution kind of happened. Uh, and it's ironic that it's called football in a pandemic and the pandemic is stopping it coming out. So it's only been released kind of October, November, and it's only just coming on the shelves now, just in time for Christmas. And if, if we didn't know that it will come out now, then we could have done a little bit more research on the pandemic with a bit more data and particularly on the injury front or the, um, uh, on, on kind of facts and figures and stats would have been, would have been good. But again, it's the way of the world you have to adapt, don't you? So, so th- that's the, the, the start of the book. And then, then it goes into the tactical thing. So all 20 teams from the season are covered at some point, but I didn't want to just look at kind of the top teams. And I didn't just want to look at what, um, what, what is not overanalyzed, but um, what's, what's already been done a lot of and what a lot of people know about. So from a coaching perspective, I sped it up into the different sections of, um, in possession transitions and out of possession and then a, a bit of a focus in each moment so in the playing out from the back and the build-up element of of in possession it's it's a focus around Leeds United because I was fascinated beyond Bielsa and how uh, I've watched a lot of championship football throughout my you know my childhood especially and seeing how we took Leeds United from with all due respect to them the relatively average championship team to the way they play in a short space of time that really fascinated me so I used them as playing out Creating chances was Brighton because I think, you know, when I watch Brighton's teams with Graham Potter and his staff, they've got some really good ideas. The goal scoring and how goals are scored and finished, that's where the league is, all the teams come in. And because I wanted to get every team in at least once without making it an absolute war and peace um, project. Transitions wise, it looks at, again, another team that I think would only until they got the credit until the end of the season and more now is West Ham and how David Moyes has done a good job with there. So how they counter-attacked. Defensive transitions, Liverpool, because I still feel that they're the best in the world in, in the moment that they lose the ball. And then the out-of-possession stuff was split into the high-pressing, more of a mid-block and then more of the deeper defending low-block. And again, trying to pick teams. So I use Man City for the high-pressing because for me, they've been analysed, you know, Everything Pepper's done in possession has pretty much been covered. You see it everywhere, don't you? But I don't think he gets enough credit for his out-of-possession stuff. So I wanted to throw that in there. Um, I wasn't working for them at the time, but Villa are in there now as um, as, as the mid-block and how they changed from the season before. And then the low block was some of Mourinho's ideas and, and a couple of, kind of one or two ideas in particular where he did them with Man United, didn't quite work. He tweaked them for Tottenham and they did work to an extent but then it was the longevity of the ideas that, that didn't quite work. So there's loads of, so I say all 20 teams are covered in, in some areas. It's lots of teams that hopefully people reading it and, and going through the book will actually think, oh, actually, I didn't realise Team X did that or were good at that. Um, and it's, it's certainly not a book to criticise. It, it's more of a book to just kind of praise what, what specific teams and coaches did throughout the season, plus then linked in with what the pandemic did and, and because it was in my head, the reason that one of the main reasons why why I did it was, I was kind of hoping that that season would be totally unique in the sense that we'd never go back to behind closed doors again. We'd never go back to restrictions and lockdowns and stuff. And you know, unfortunately, from the sounds of it, something might come in in the next kind of few couple of months. But um, it, in some ways, it will be a project that I'll do once, and then that'll be it done. But it could kind of stand the test of time as an individual season. No, I think, I think that's really interesting. I think it's really important that there is um, light shone on all the teams in that respect because, you know, no matter no matter how they're doing, they, 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 I don't think there's any team out there that's doing anything completely bad and anything, any team out there doing everything, everything completely good. Yeah. Um, I guess the question I would have off the back of that, how do you see this um, as a resource? Is it a resource for coaches just to kind of look at and think of um, strategies and ways that, is it just an observational resource or is it in a, a, a way? This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you see the benefit for coaches in terms of reading this and maybe applying it in their own context? There's going to be a lot of coaches out there. You talked earlier about the, you know, the, how challenging it is just to you know, get into the academy systems and things like that. There's going to be a lot of coaches who maybe have ambitions of working in the elite game, whether that be in um, senior or youth, youth football. Um, mm. There's also going to be a load of coaches that are going to be not wanting to do that working in grassroots football, maybe not working in development football, maybe more recreational football. What are the things that they can maybe take away from that and potentially apply in their own context? Because I think one of the biggest challenges that a lot of coaches do have, um, especially maybe those that aren't as experienced potentially, is what I like to refer to as YouTube coaching, where they basically look at a person A, person B, or you know whether that be a Guardiola, Mourinho, whoever, and say, yeah. well, well, I've just seen the clip, or that Conte's done with Vincent, or I've seen that clip that you know Guardiola done at Man City, and da 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 da, da and, and they just go and try and replicate that. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. So kind of one one thing that I was conscious of doing was not mentioning individual players as much in, in, throughout the book. Because I think some of it, some of it will be able to be taken from from coaches and be able to replicate. If you're working in eleven v eleven, I didn't want to focus so much on individual players because straight away and rightly they would say, "Well, I haven't got a Cancelo. I haven't got a, um, you know, whoever, like any yeah. of the top players." So it was it was more of a case of what were the tactics and strategies used across the season, no matter kind of what team selected so the individual wasn't I'm going to say as critical but all, all I'd say on that Sam is do you not think it's important that then the individual is um, mentioned more from a perspective of right these are the characteristics or the traits that this potential player might have now it doesn't obviously the standard at which they're delivering on those characteristics and traits obviously can be very different and that can that can be maybe what separates them from becoming a professional footballer an elite world class footballer and that of someone working towards that However, maybe the mould of the of the player characteristics and traits might be something very important to kind of uh, touch base on because that could essentially be the variables in which this session, this practice, these strategies are then developed on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I just didn't want... So when I did the first kind of tactical chapter as leads and I, when I was doing it, I was thinking, well, it takes kind of specific players to do what 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 Lee's doing in some ways but then the more I was doing it I was thinking well, actually you could probably do this with 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 lots of different players and, and just work on the movements and stuff so it's more of a case of the book is definitely aimed for kind of coaches analysts and people that work in the game in general and I guess those kind of fans that are interested in the tactical side of thing that too um, but I was just kind of conscious to not it's almost like you don't want to scare people with kind of over detail and there's quite a lot of technical detail as well in there so say um, I don't know. The, so the the Brighton chapter when they're creating chances, there's there's a couple of uh, progress in there on kind of like a, a disguised pass, like a reverse pass to to avoid a defender or something. So the technical detail that I've tried to throw in there could be kind of coaching points that that, that people could take out. And you're not necessarily looking at the tactic as a whole and the positioning of, of the eleven and, and the movements and and the, what the structure looks like. That's more the detail. You're kind of zooming in a little bit. So I tried to find the balance a little bit of getting some tactical detail that people can just lift and use, but then merging that with what does it all look like and does the technical detail affect the structure and does the structure affect the technical detail? Um, and it's quite a hard balance to find because yeah. obviously there's so much detail you can throw in there. So and what are your thoughts on that then? Does the technical detail um, have an impact on the structure or vice versa? Yeah, I think, well, because of, the thing as well, like the playing style has a huge then effect on it as well. So like we'll go back to the Leeds example, playing out the, the technical details of um, the way that so they've got the fullbacks quite wide and deep. So with the, and they're often quite, quite a common coaching thing I've found is a lot of, a lot of coach education, they say uh, kind of vertically, not to get your winger and fullback in that same line. 
but Leeds were kind of set up a lot like that and the winger running towards the ball um, with a, a fullback right, right in his back and receiving quite tight and, and moving towards your own goal was most coaches would say that's quite a common pressing trigger. He's facing his own goal, get his head down and, and press them. But Leeds would use that quite a lot to mm. play in and that kind of third man combination to then get through um, as opposed to... Just on that, I think you make a really good point there because it typically it would be considered as a trigger for pressing. Now, I think this is where, in my opinion, uh, from my experience, I've, I've lost maybe three or four years now, I've been working as a coach educator and delivering a range of different qualifications, um, both internally and externally from the FA. And one of my big observations is that coaches that come on these courses um, and even coaches I've been out to see, they often lose sight of the fact that, yes, you've got a playing style, you've got all that, you've got a coaching style, but actually, what's the game about? Um, the game is about scoring goals, or actually scoring more than the opposition. And it's as simple as that. Now, within that, I think one of the key things that people often forget is, right, you can have this way of playing, you could do this, 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 this type of movement, this type of functional pattern of play, or whatever that might be. But ultimately, it's about getting the ball towards the opposition's goal. Now, I always say to, to coaches and even players, you know, right, just because the player's mark doesn't mean we can't move the ball forward and doesn't move the ball forward doesn't necessarily mean we have to dribble it. We can play the ball forward, but there's also a way, and you know, this way maybe where you're maybe delving into some of that technical detail that you're talking about. What does that look like? How do we still get the ball forward even in those moments where it's maybe considered an opportunity for the opposition to press us? What does that look like? What is the what kind of detail goes into that? So I guess as an example, right, yeah, I've got my back to goal or my, my I'm the right back. My right, my right wing has got his back to goal. Um, he's got he's got a full back, you know, right, right up his backside. But actually, I can still get the ball into his feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, still progress up the pitch. It's just because we want to play forward doesn't necessarily mean we always have to play forward to go beyond, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think because there's, I mentioned it quite early on in the book that as much as tactics and strategies and play style has a huge part of the game, particularly at the top level, ultimately the game is, is made up of 1v1s generally it, or an overload, underload situations. But the 1v1 is the best tactics breaker that ever exists and for me probably ever will exist because you know, we'll use that example of the fullback and the winger and if he receives... I mean, I, I used to love watching Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal because the amount of times he will receive pressure behind but be able to roll and dribble past his man and take his defender out of the game or out of the attack in the moment... And that's one of the best ways to create overloads or at least kind of even up the situation numerically. And you, you spot on there in terms of uh, not, not, not forgetting about what the game is. And um, I think that, that a lot of players now, especially if you want to make it to the top, you need to be so versatile in, in so many different areas. You look at what centre-backs do nowadays compared to 10, 15 years ago, same as full-backs, same to strikers. It can name any position that the amount of, different things that they have to do. And it's a case of probably more now being jack of all trades. You know, I'd much rather have a, a really versatile player that can do... Because because playing styles will change with managers in a lot of clubs anyway. And ultimately, at the top level especially, it's about finding ways to win yeah. within the laws and the principles of the game. Really important about what you've mentioned there. It's about being versatile, but the way I see it, it's about being versatile, but in a way that doesn't necessarily, um, it's not dependent necessarily on your technical ability and your technical, your technical competencies, more specifically being versatile in the way I would see it is in how well you understand the game and the different contexts that could yeah. come otherwise. Um, you know, I, often, I often have this debate with coaches sometimes around whether unopposed practice as an example is even worth doing now, I'm not saying it's not because it definitely mm. has a place it definitely has benefits um, but for me it's very important that actually we understand that until we have context the unopposed practice doesn't mean anything now we can yeah. still do unopposed practice by giving context as an example you know I might say to you right Sam uh, you're going to play this 10 yard pass but when you receive it, I want you to receive it as if, you know, you're going to visualize someone's pressing you from your left-hand side, as an example. Now, yes, it's not exactly the same as what the game is going to is going to is going to give you, but it gives you some sort of visualization and some sort of uh, opportunity to explore 
what that could look like for yourself and what kind of techniques you then might apply in that. Um, and then you might go to work around that technical detail, maybe refine that. Um, and by the sounds of it, you, you, you kind of work on a similar, in a, in a similar way. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think um, kind of one, one opinion I've, I've always kind of had is even when working with really young players, so foundation-based players, even though the, the technique and the mastery and the loving of the ball should be at the forefront, and I don't think you should ever include, uh, exclude, I'm not going to say the tactics, but understanding the game as early as you can and understanding that basically it's, it's the ball, your teammates, the opposition, and then from a result of those three where the spaces are. Hundred percent, and they affect and they affect everything that you do, because no matter what format you play, it is totally fluid. It's not as black and white as chess, but it'd be wrong to say that there's not elements kind of of chess where strategy doesn't come into it. Because um, as much as I, so for me, formations. A lot of people say, oh, they're just phone numbers, and to some extent, they kind of are. But what, whatever structure you, you play in, it gives you certain returns. You, you can never get away from the fact that if you play I know, a 4-4-2, then you've got two players up front. That is different to playing a 4-3-3. It's, it's, different, it's different spaces, different moments. Um, I think within that is also you know, addressing the fact that yeah, you might have one formation and that formation might give you different um, returns, but also that's then impacted and, and varied by the opposition's shape and absolutely how they, how they wish to play but coming back to your previous point it just before I forget you know you talk about being versatile and you know I've always said right I'd rather have someone who is maybe not superior in terms of their technical ability um and maybe is maybe a six or seven out of ten technically if you like rather than a nine yeah. out of ten technically um, but that's six or seven out of ten technically. If that if that is, I guess trade if the trade off of that is that actually they understand better when to maybe apply or implement certain strategies or techniques because it's it's essentially at the top level when the the best players, um, yes, they might be great technically, but actually what makes them even better is actually their game understanding, decision making elements. For me, so it's almost like right. I'll give you an example. Um, now you can argue one way or the other but Wayne Rooney you probably wouldn't say he's the most technical player of all time what he made a career out of is actually making doing the basics at a very very high standard and the reason why he was maybe to be able to do the basics at a very high standard is because actually more often than not the decision making even prior mm -hmm. as a result of the context that he was in was what allowed yeah. him just to keep that basic technique consistent at a higher level if that makes sense Whereas you've got yeah. some players that, you know, I'm sure you know people personally and we know players that, have, you know, come and gone and you think, what have happened to him? And he was outstanding technically, but he never quite was there tactically or even, you know, even just contextually in terms of understanding the game and what maybe should be done in a certain moment. And it kind of leads me on to another, another point is that you can have those players there. Um, and this is a debate I often have with one of my, one of my, one of my good mates is, do some players just not get it? <laughs> Do some like it, 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 is that is that <laughs> thing or is it a case of they're so far away and this it's been so long that they haven't had that game understanding from an early stage as as you mentioned there that actually they, they, it, it, the boat sailed it's gone it's never <laughs> going to happen now because I agree with you I think from as early as possible you get the game understanding in there and I don't necessarily need you to have high levels of technical competency at a young age because you've got years to develop that but if you can have an understanding of what you need to be doing within those moments from early on then you're probably going to be more targeted and specific around the types of techniques you're then going to look to develop as a result of that if that makes sense yeah absolutely I mean um, it's kind of that classic argument is it like the jack of all trades they say the jack of all trades is a master of none but like, I don't know if many people realise the actual the, the full quote of that is something like a jack of all trades is a master of none but often better than a master of one it's something like that is the full quote and like, years and years ago the first uh, kind of my idea of that versatility so I went to watch Liverpool in the Champions League and my seats were, were relatively low down and they were basically it was looking down like Liverpool's first half, Liverpool's left wing. And it was the first real time I'd seen clocks, like really established Liverpool side. And it was just Sadio Mane basically running at me for 45 minutes. And I was just watching him and they were playing at City as well. So they're playing, you know, two of the best teams in the world at the time and still now. 
And I was just, I was in absolute awe of Mornay in the terms of technically he's great. He can finish off both feet. He can run in behind. He can come short. He can go wide. He can cross. He can cut it back. He can shoot. He can head. He can technically he's got you know loads of different things. But from a physical perspective, there's not many players that can obviously accelerate, but then decelerate so quick to then cross or pass or so he doesn't lose that quality of action. Tactically, you can tell he was very clever, and there was a bouncing ball. I think it was against Walker. And the bouncing ball and walks moving back to head it. And Marnie's just gone, all right, I'll let you head it and then I'll pick up the loose ball. And kind of the psychological aspect that obviously you play in Champions League and you, you know, you all the verbals that you get and the pressure of playing for Liverpool and all that kind of thing. And and I'm sure, you know, without knowing his journey, he's come from from Africa, hasn't he? And he will have had a well, I'd imagine a very difficult journey going from Africa to Europe to try and to England, Southampton, to Liverpool to try and make a career. Um and I was just in, it's something kind of clicked just watching him in that first half where it's like, you've got to have so many different things in your in your locker. And this is obviously talking about the, the highest standard, but even if you want to kind of play pro and even towards semi-pro, you, you have to have so many different things in your locker. Gone are the days now where, you know, like in the 70s, 80s, where it's cigarettes and beers at the end of the game and the standard is so high, you have to be so well-rounded. And... Ultimately, I, I, I say this to to any players I've worked with that the big the big format, the eleven v eleven. There's twenty two of you on the pitch. You as an individual, you're going to be on the ball for somewhere between three and five minutes, kind of a top standard. Maybe if you're a good player, you might be on it for five or eight minutes of that of that ninety. So chances are, a lot of the stuff you're doing are, are off the ball anyway. So you you've got to understand the game. You've got to understand your movements and your positioning in and out of possession and the transitions. You've got to physically physically be able to do it. You've got to be psychologically be able to deal with with um, with the things that are thrown at you and 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 the social side of you playing a team sport. So you've got ten other teammates to use, and then the technical will never change because it's a technical sport with with obviously the ball and the and and the the, the, the um, rules and, and the conditions of the game of football in general. Um, but you just got to be so versatile. And I think, like we said, if you don't if you don't have that versatility and, and encourage that, and like we said, like foundation phase players, they need to develop that love for the ball and, and you get good windows of your opportunity, don't you, to do technical stuff, to do certain physical returns that you can get as they grow and, and, and manage that. But you should never, for me personally, you should never kind of detach yourself from, well, how can you win the game? But even even with young players, how can you? And, it, and it's, it's finding that balance that's quite difficult, isn't it, of not, putting too much on the result, but the result will always tell you something over over time. Because my, my, my second sport from football is F1. So I'm a big F1 fan. And there's a great saying in F1 that the stopwatch never lies because that is a definitive how fast you've done that lap and you're qualifying or your race pace. It, you can't argue with it. And over time in football, uh, especially as players get older, you can never argue with, with, with what happens on the game, on, on the pitch. And, and, as I say, finding that balance, especially with younger players, can be quite difficult because you've still got to think about them as individuals in the team game as development. But again, you can't detach from understanding the game as a, like your game craft. Your game craft is, is a great phrase. And sometimes I think coaches, you might forget about that at times. Definitely. So I guess, you know, obviously, I, you know, I'm, I'm really keen to maybe find out more about the book and I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are going to, probably going to look into it as well. But, you know, just to kind of, um, as we look to kind of round up then, what would you say some of the biggest things are from the book or even from your own experience that you would say that are, are real considerations for coaches to make, um, A, in terms of their prep and their planning for their, for their sessions, but also considerations to make in terms of how they view the way they coach the game itself. Yeah, I think um, the, the the big thing that, that I learned from from doing it was like success can come from lots of different ways and lots of different styles and ideas. And I guess one of the great things about the sport of football and why it is so enjoyed around the world is because of the unpredictability of it, I guess. And success can come from anywhere and different styles and ideas and strategies. Um, and there's no defined right or wrong way otherwise it'd be a very boring sport um and and to give kind of credit to, to different ways of playing and different ideas and to be open-minded to different strategies different ideas and 
Um, the, the the total, as I said, because there's 22 players or, or on there at once, and you can position them all so many different ways at so many different times that you can you can nick loads of ideas from from others, but then you can tailor. So, so uh, there's one one particular way that always stands out for the way in the Man City chapter about pressing. Um, I think they were actually playing Leeds the first time I saw it and the way they set up the press. And ever since I saw that and did my notes and got it on the tactics board and stuff, I've nicked that press and used it quite a lot in my own coaching when when the situation it allows me to. Um, and, and that was just one example of, of one press. So in the Man City chapter, it was split into if they played a back three, if they played against a back three and pressing the back three and then they had one sitting midfielder, then if they played back three and then the other team had two sitting midfielders. Then again, the, if they played a back four, but with one sitting in front and then a back four with two sitting in front. So depending on how the opposition was set numerically, Man City would have different presses for, for, for the opposition structure. And like you said before, it, it's in response to what the opposition has set up and what they do as well. But there's, 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 this press will always stick in my mind as something that there's so many benefits to it that even now I'm thinking, well, why, why would I not do that more? And, and that was something I've taken straight away in my own coaching. Um, and hopefully coaches can read, as I say, like the David Moyes counter-attacking, the, the, the principles um, that were listed in, in that and how to develop good counter-attacks. Because even Man City dominate the ball, but they'll still counter-attack. They'll still score goals from counter-attacks. Um, so kind of understanding that you might have your preferred way and your preferred style, but there will be moments in the game like Liverpool have to, like Real Madrid have to, they will have to defend in a low block at some stage in the game. And they, they will have to at some point. So it kind of comes back to a point as well about being versatile. And as a coach, you've got to be versatile and more knowledge and a, a, a more broader range of knowledge. I don't think there's any downside to, to having that. I think you made some great points. And I think it's definitely something that I've always mentioned to coaches in the fact that even when you're delivering your sessions, you need to, you need to, you know, you might have your preferred playing style, as you, as you put it. Um, how often in your sessions are you now designing it in a way or, pro, you know, put, put in the, posing the challenge in a way to the players that are actually at the heart of that for different scenarios to occur. So as an example, if I'm working on a press and we're doing, I don't know, it's a 4-4-2 as an example, how often do we change what the opposition are doing so that we can kind of look to work on that element of it as well? I think that's a great point that you yeah. kind of put in there because it is, it is off, you know, as, as, as much as we, uh, like to want to control the situation in the way that we play is very much dependent on our, what the opposition are doing as well. And that's not necessarily to change our approach to how we want to do things. But the reality is there is going to be subtle differences as to how that happens because of the opposition's setup and whatnot. Um, look, I, 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 you've, certainly got, you've certainly got me thinking, right, this book is definitely worth getting, um, definitely worth exploring. And, you know, there's, there's probably going to be some real golden nuggets within it to kind of take away and even just to think about it, if not, if not apply itself. So just, you know, Sam, where, where can people get this book? And, you know, and if, if they had any questions and any further, and wanted to expand on this discussion even further, where could they get in touch with you? Yeah, so, so the book, as, as you've said a few times, is called Football in a Pandemic. Um, it's available, I guess, like most things nowadays, even, even books or not, it's, it's on Amazon, um, both hard copy and the, the Kindle electronic version, depending on kind of how you like to read your books. Um, and it's available, loads of different, if you're kind of UK-based, your usual Waterstones, WH Smith, um, those kind of places. And then uh, I get any listeners abroad, again, just Google football in a pandemic and there's there's so many different suppliers now. As I say, we've got the stock issues and all that sort of thing out of the way. There's lots of different um, suppliers around the world, really. So my advice is buy the cheapest one. Um, and and yeah, any any kind of quiz. I've had a few messages about it already. Um, so I've, I've set up a, a, a Gmail account that is footballinapandemic at gmail.com. So any kind of things around the book, I'm more than happy to answer emails specifically for that. Um, I do have a Twitter account as well that, again, people do message just in general about the game and stuff. And, and I'm more than happy to, when time allows, that I'm more than happy to speak with anybody about anything football related. Um, and that's uh, Sammy H uh, underscore 93. So Twitter's a great, Twitter's my only social media because um, I'm not a big social media person, but that's that's my one for, for the football coaching side of things. 
And then, as I said, the football in a pandemic at gmail.com is if, if they wanted to email. Um, and, and yeah, be looking forward to, to any discussions on that um, moving forward. Well, Sam, I'll, I'll definitely be looking to purchase that book. Um, but guys, look, there you have it. Look, football in a pandemic, um, an insight into Premier League tactics and strategies utilised during the 2020 and 21 season um, by Sam Hudson. Uh, first of all, Sam, congratulations on, on the release of that book. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a success and I'm sure there's going to be loads of people listening to this and watching this that are going to want to um, purchase their own copies, whether that be on the Kindle or, or hard copy. Um, thank you again for your time this evening. I'm sure we're going to we're going to have plenty more discussions off the back of this one. Um, but Sam, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no worries. Great to, uh, great to connect and great to chat to all things football, mate. All the best. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.